Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. He's a real... Everybody's uh, doing one. Yeah, you've got to do one. Every country has to do one. And uh, Vincent Cassell is the lead, and apparently he's electrifying. But they're, they're running one after the other. They're actually putting them out, I think, three weeks apart, but they're doing a double screening tonight. So, And I got up at 5 o'clock this morning because I reviewed the papers on LBC, so I'm bloody that's tired. A, that's, a, that's a full day for that's a media slut. That's a busy day. It is. Only one of them actually earns me any money. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yeah. Is that because it's the summer and uh, no disrespect? No, it really is, David. Everybody I, else away. I'm not above uh, above that. I am holiday cover. I've, I've been doing sort of three. Or four, I've got three or four shows in a row on Six Music, where I thought I was off the subs bench, and I'm filling in for Mark Kermode for four weeks on the news and on Five Live. So yes, I am holiday cover, and I'm absolutely delighted to be holiday cover. That's a good thing. Yes, I'm happy to be number two. Are we rolling, Fraser? We are. Andrew Collins is yeah. in the pod. I feel like I'm, I must be sitting in for somebody, but actually, <laughs> no, I think, no. I, I think Andrew, you might have asked choice. me first. Yeah, first choice. Great. I like the way that, uh, that Eamon was uh, the closest <laughs> when he decided to do a podcast last week. You knew Eamon would be quite nearby, and you'd followed his tweets, we, so you we, knew he was out of bed. <laughs> we always feel that the whereabouts of Eamon Ford should be identified, probably on the tube map, by yes. a flashing, flashing light. Exactly, you should have one in the office. Because he gets up very yeah. early, yeah. and he stays up quite late, yeah. and he's always going somewhere. And, and he always and tells you where he is. And he tells you where he is. And so what you're aware of with Ableton is he's immensely active, and kind of, you know, his day may be taking him past, you know, word towers, yeah. in which case he just pops in. and His uh, mind is active as well. You know, his he never, mind never stops thinking. Of his mind is, is certainly active. He's a treasure. He is, he is. So, um, was that last week? Yes, it was last week. It was week. last week, yeah. And one of the I'm things, up to speed. Well, one of the things we were talking about, touched upon last week, which you might uh, have something to add to, was the extraordinary um, bulk and cost of one's early adventures in, uh, in, in the ownership of video machines. Oh, yes. And, and video yeah. rental. Um, what, do you remember what you had first? I'm very proud to say that in 1981, our video arrived, and my... No offence to my dad, but he went for the Philips. Not the Vita or the VHS, but the Philips with the double-sided tapes. Oh, was that the Philips? They called it the V2000 or something yeah, weird it, like that. It ran longer. Yeah, and because and it had a double-sided cassette. It was like a normal audio cassette, but you flipped over and had two sides to put your, your videotapes on. And, uh, oh, we, we didn't care. We were as excited as I'd imagine uh, children were when they first had electric light. And we... I know it coincided with Chinatown being shown on television, so Chinatown was one of the first things that I taped in full and watched and watched and watched until I could pretty much recite it. So, yeah, great days, but, of course, sadly, the Phillips did not last very long. Because nowadays, if you, if you went down the tip and attempted to dispose of any piece of hi-fi or yeah. computer kit... Nowadays, it's just chuck it in the pile in the corner. Yeah, absolutely. You see, you see those uh, tragic skips full of electrical equipment that you know is not going to be reused by anyone. Fraser, you probably know more about this than we do. Is there anything that has any kind of sell-on value in the world of, of IT equipment or videos or any iPods my, or anything like that? I don't think so. I remember my mother trying to get rid of a computer I'd given her after about three years because it, it kind of it, it, she was in need of a new one. 
and there was literally nowhere she could give it to. She's the kind of person who hates throwing stuff away. Yeah. And she was phoning up schools and all this kind of stuff, and everyone was, can't, no, don't want it. Every, every, the problem is everybody wants it in principle, but nobody wants it in practice, because it's not quite it the up. right system. Sorry? No, nobody wants to pick it up. Yes. Oh, that's true. We had a, we had a television, which we, um, we moved house, and the fitted space for the television was obviously designed for a flat-screen television, so if we had to make that leap, we were forced to, because our big, fat, old cathode ray tube one, <laughs> or CRT, as they call them in the, in the shops. Oh, really? A CRT? Yeah, it's a CRT. They always say oh, in the shops, because we, we shopped around, and they said, the CRT, you can't beat the CRT. That's the TLA, TLA for this week, is CRT. Yeah, there you go. So, and, and so we literally couldn't fit it in the gap that was left, so we had to get rid of it. And again, no one, as you say, but no one will pick it up. You know, eventually a charity took it. There was, I think it was the British Heart Foundation. So always worth a look, if you want to give it to charity, that is, and just at least get it reused. And they took it, but we had to take it down there. You're yes, right. So when I moved into my uh, flat, so the oven that came installed in the property was one that wasn't really up to my culinary uh, <laughs> taste. Hey, we've so all I, been there. So I, best, I got a new oven, and uh, I put the old one on FreeCycle, which is a service where you can basically say, I've got this, and somebody will come and pick it up. So this is a brand new oven, never been used, worth £700. Mm. No bikes. Really? No one really? Is that a common story on? Because I've never used it, and I've always thought it sounded very interesting, free cycle. I think it's good if is you've it got normally a lot quicker than that? If someone's going to hire a van, they're not going to bother. Right. That's the trouble, you see. That's the trouble. It's yeah. ridiculous. And we've got, I've actually got a piece of correspondence here, which is on the site, uh, pursuant to last week's discussion about old tellies and videos, from the ever-reliable Archie Valparaiso. Oh, yes. Who... who Long before the internet was invented, Archie realised it was going to happen one day. Right. And so he, he squirrelled away every thought he had that might one day make a good post and just kept it. Yes? And so he's actually published a correspondence between him and a TV rental company from the year 1988. Wow. Which, is, um, which will, I'm, I'm sure, awaken something in anybody who remembers the days when you used to rent televisions. He's, the letter goes, last month before leaving London, he sends this letter from Granada in Spain, you know, right. which is kind of an extra gag. I made repeated efforts to return a TV set to you. The set was originally rented from Drazin Limited, Heath Street, Hampstead. Drazin was subsequently taken over by Scan. My standing order for £12 remained unchanged. Scan was subsequently taken over by Vision Hire. My standing order remained unchanged. I can tell that Archie is warming to this already, isn't he? He's into the rhythm of this. I now learn that Vision Hire has been taken over by Granada. My standing order has now been cancelled. I went to the shop in Hampstead, heaved the TV set, and presumably this was a one, yeah. CRT or CRT. whatever you call it. This yeah, is a yeah. huge, great fat thing, you know. Two, it takes two people usually Easy, to carry these yeah. things. And noticed that this place is now a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a vision of Archie actually bursting through the door of a Chinese restaurant, holding a huge, great television and, uh, and having to turn on his heel. And I then took the TV set back home. I rang your head office, who told me that my account was now handled by the Kilburn branch. I took the TV set to Kilburn. So he's driven it, or whatever, up there. The Vision Hire shop is now a boarded-up shell plastered with posters advertising long-gone pop concerts. <laughs> I do not intend to traipse around London with a ten-year-old TV set anymore, especially since, as you can see from the above address, I'm now in Spain. And he's basically <laughs> left the TV set in the flat with instructions. That if they want the TV set back, this is how they can get it. But he says, since the set is old and obsolete... Having neither remote control nor teletext. <laughs> and hasn't teletext just it's disappeared? Just, they've just, just about they? to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. December. So, uh, and moreover, since I have paid in rental in excess of £1,100. And this is 1988. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of money. In those days. Uh, over the years, perhaps it would be easier for you to consider it a write off, which seems a fair point, <laughs> yeah. you know. But, but it, it, it's probably whether we look back on the, you know, the big changes of the last 20 years. It's the fact that what was expensive became so cheap. Well, and also that the, you did get things repaired in the olden days. And, and if you see a repair shop now, it's a kind of, you know, one old man sort of shop with a soldering iron. And it's lovely to see. But you can't get things repaired. And nobody does anymore. That's the tragic thing. If a telly broke down when I was a kid, it was a horrible moment because it would have to go away. Yes, and you had it. There would be a yeah. hole. There'd be a dusty I hole. Know, and you'd sit there and, you know, you'd read poetry. <laughs> <Sobbing>. <laughs> 
<laughs> or just look at the, look at the flame of a candle and dancing in the air, and and then it would come back and it would be a great moment. But there would be no way would you not get it fixed. I mean, what that's so thing? true. I think I can remember having a record deck repaired. Imagine yeah. that yeah. a Pioneer PL12D record deck repaired, and it's probably gone for three weeks. During which time there was no means of playing music in the house yeah. at all. Just complete deprivation. Did you have a, did you have a piano? <laughs> I would not at the time. And now your cupboards are probably full of stuff you can play music on. Uh, yes, uh, I'm yeah. sure. Absolutely anything. Now, didn't you the other day have something that broke and you decided not to bother? Was your camera? Video camera? Yes, a video camera which I'd bought to film the uh, Mark and Kate's uh, video cast. So it's a digital video camera? Digital video camera. It, uh, it's a year's guarantee and it blew up after 13 months and I could have had it replaced, but I didn't. I bought a new one. It's it's easier. Hey, it's, uh, it's easy to say, but we do live in a disposable society. Yeah. So I went to the tip the other day with an old uh, printer, computer printer, perfectly good working yeah. order. I just got a better one. Yeah. And I thought, I've still got that thing. I can't just chuck it in the skip. And so I walk towards the guys who are standing in front of all the stuff, and mm. I go, "This works perfectly. It's well. got a plug on it. The leads and, yeah. and everything." And the guy didn't even. Didn't even, you know, favour me with speech. He just kind of indicated with his head over his shoulder. In the pile mm. with all the other working printers. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Where that thing should go. It's so. like Wall-E. Have you seen Wall-E? I've uh, not. Yeah. No. Well, you should see it. So, I mean, it's, a, it's got a lovely ecolog- ecological message, but it's just this little robot whose job is to basically batter all the uh, rubbish together and just stack it up. And, that's, and there's this awful kind of dystopian future where it's just all stacked up, little, little squares. Well, uh, Can I just throw you a teletext fact go on. for myself, personal teletext fact, is that I read about the death of Kurt Cobain on CFAX. <sighs> I, I, coming home from work, knowing somebody in the record industry who's heard that he died. I mean, he's had a, an overdose, hadn't he, pretty, pretty recently, so it was kind of on the cards. But I remember getting home and pre-internet and putting the television on and finding it on CFAX. So I, I heard the news on the, on the TV news, and what distressed me wasn't the fact that he died, was that the news of his death followed a story about Paul Gascoigne injuring his knee. <laughs> what, so you felt this was a distortion <laughs> of proper news value? Yeah. One yeah. knee injury well, to, to, to Gaza would have been bigger news. Uh, rocks yeah. out. Sorry, yeah, no. you know, it's no contest. Things really. have changed now, but uh, oh, right. maybe that's the news story that changed it. So Teletext is gone, or is going. Or is going. Um, I, used to, I used to follow... Tennis taking place in Australia in the middle of the night on teletext. Because actually, tennis is the perfect sport to be covered by teletext. Because it's a, po- it's a point at a time. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can follow the logic of a game of tennis yeah. absolutely really easily on teletext. I was in a, at a very, very strange Irish pub on uh, Kentish Town Road. This would have been about ten years ago. And they were watching Saturday afternoon football on the teletext. <laughs> It was, a pub was it Irish of, football or just... Uh, it was regular premiership football. Right, right. And there was a group of people sat around the TV, which was in the corner, all staring at this thing, which changed, refreshed every two minutes. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's like being there. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, various topics... i turn my phone off. It's, uh, various topics uh, this week that have been exercising the massive... And I suppose one that, one that just keeps uh, getting bigger every day is, is the kind of uh, the public profanity issue, which came back into the news again yesterday when uh, David Cameron used the, uh, used the twat word, yeah. is that right? And on Christian word. And Christian Connell's uh, programme on Absolute. That's correct. Formerly yep. Virgin Radio. Yep. Uh, and uh, this is not long uh, after uh, Jeremy Clarkson in doing a warm-up in front of a Top Gear studio audience, had, had used the C-word in referring to the Prime Minister, which is kind of a double problem, <laughs> you know, yeah. particularly since he'd, he'd only just had to apologise from calling the Prime Minister, I think, a, what is that, one-eyed oh, Scottish yeah. git or yeah. something like that. But that was, that was uh, in the public domain, or that was actually, was that broadcast, that one? Or was that uh, it was something he said in Australia. He ah, said it in right. Australia. So he, made, he, took, he took the trouble to go to the he other hemisphere. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas this time, he didn't. Oh. And I just, I just wonder if this is part of a kind of, of, of a growing syndrome nowadays in, in, in broadcasting. <laughs> People feel the need... You know, whether they're aware of the effect or not, they sort of increasingly feel the need to say this stuff. Well, it also depends on where they are. I mean, Cameron would never have said that if he was talking to Andrew Marr. No, no. I think you're right. So, think you're so right. go on then. So, so why is he, he saying He's it? in Christian O'Connor's backyard. He thinks this is an audience who will like me to use the word twan, so I will. 
And but then afterwards, he 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 said that he didn't know that it was. Um, he didn't know that it was on the list. It was. <laughs> or it is, is it on the list? Well, the, it's interesting that the Times have well, not a lot of other papers have done it as well. But the Times reported it today and basically said we have printed the word twat because we feel that it's newsworthy. But normally we would print t asterisk asterisk asterisk. So it actually made a kind of uh, an editorial out of the fact that they've printed it today. And does that mean? I'm not sure whether that implied that they will from now on use it. Is it's obviously lost its power because David Cameron has said it, it must be okay. But it is on the list, I think. I don't think I think it's losing some of its power in the same way that Bastard lost its power, partly through the young ones and various other things in, in the early eighties. So just overuse, I think. Uh, if it gets used, and it is getting used a lot, because it's almost seen as an acceptable rude word, isn't it? Almost. I don't know. Well, I think it is. I think it, I think it is still just about. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it on on live radio. I would really because that, that, that's I would pull thing, back. But I'm old school. That's the thing that intrigues me. That it used to be obscenities used to escape on television, on live television. Hmm. You know, post match interviews with footballers or some terrible argument between politicians. Or, you, you, this stuff would blurt out. When Clarkson uses it, or David Cameron uses it, and this, or, or Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand, you know, a few months ago, that's not that's not slipping out, is it? No, no. That's, I think in, in real deliberate. life, we we are, wouldn't obviously include present company because you may well be differently. But I think we we in real life swear quite a bit now. Maybe in front of consenting adults. Yeah, people. exactly. In, in small numbers in, of people. Yeah, in company that you know and and don't think will cause offence. Whereas on the radio. You don't know who's listening, do you? So you have to assume that a, a, a fictional maiden aunt is listening and a vicar with a parrot. Because they have. With a sheet over the parrot's cage. You have to assume that those stereotypes are listening and therefore you don't want to offend anyone, do you? I mean, why would you want to offend anyone if you're broadcasting well, to it, a mixed I audience? S- I suppose the only... Uh, the Clarkson case is a really interesting one because here he is doing a warm-up in front of... A bunch of people. His people. His people. Yeah, absolutely. And his people are all kinds of people. There's, there's, you know, older, older people, younger people. There's women, men. You know, yeah. it's pretty broad spectrum. And yeah. he's looking at them, and he has chosen to say this, this word. Now, my interpretation is the only reason he could have said that is that he believes it's worth offending the majority of those people in order to get in the good books. Of a smaller number of those people. Yeah. Because that's a, the only reason you could do it. There's a, there's a kind of comedic shock value still to using the C word and the F word. And if you're doing it... For instance, if you go to a Radio 4 comedy recording, where none of these words will be on the final edit, most comedians, frankly, will stick a C word or an F word in, knowing that this is a... Really? Well, yeah, for the audience. You know, for the audience at the... Drill. So there's, there's a bunch of people who come by a coach to, up to London. <laughs> if they're coming to, to a comedy to... show, I think that the, many of them anyway, certainly the veterans, and, and every experience I've had of recording one of those shows, you get the feeling these people have gone to everyone that's been on that week. They're just, you know, serial Radio 4 comedy audiences. They love going to these things, and they know they're going to get a C word or an F word or something that's just libelous, frankly. Well, shocked. Well, I, they are shocked, but they want to be shocked, I think. I did, a, I did a slightly different... I did a Sky Arts panel show called What the Dickens, presented by Sandy Toxvig, who did an F word. And in the front row, one woman just audibly went, <gasps> like that, and then laughed. But it was because Sandy Toxvig was doing it. So I think there is a bit of playfulness about it. Maybe not with Clarkson. No. Well, the Clarkson case, and also it's like the Cameron case, is the offensive word is at the end of the sentence. Hmm. So I think time. it's very often used to transform what is not a very fun, funny yeah. sentiment <laughs> yeah. into something, oh, well, I'm kind of amusing. Cameron's, yeah. Cameron's was a joke about Twitter, which was really poorly done. He said something about he's not on Twitter and he wouldn't go on it because he thinks that uh, too many twits makes a twat, is what he said. I've read that before. Yeah. Have you? Uh, it's, it's, not his own, it's not original material. He's, he's, he's had it uh, lifted somewhere, cut and pasted. But uh, so, in a way, it really was the punchline. Twat was the punchline. So he knew very well what he was doing. So, while thinking about this uh, issue yesterday, I, I noted that the, the, the expression described as saying, saying something sucks has now become just it's ubiquitous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and and thoroughly acceptable on radio and television, apparently, yes, you're right, and yeah. all over the internet. And it struck me, I don't know what it means. Sucks the big one is the um, <laughs> is the full phrase, isn't it, in the American parlance? So, that sucks the big one. Now I don't know if that's come from anywhere else, but is the big one? What is the big one? Well, that's what I'm asking. Go on, go go go. I assume that it uh, that it uh, fellatio. Yeah, it fellates. 
Right. That really fellates, man. But why that's bad, I don't know. Because it would tend to be young men that say it. (laughs) Quite. Uh, You would have thought that that would be a good thing. Well, apparently... That blows as well, they say that as well, don't they? They do. That blows, so make up your mind. Yeah, but they're they're both... That blows chunks. Yeah, blows chunks is being sick, though, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yes, I think it is, yeah. So that, maybe that's different. And then there's, it sucks ass. Sucks ass is interesting, well, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to go down Sucking that Sucking an ass. Well, I just... <laughs> I think you have a duty. Don't let that man round the donkey sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think you have a duty when using fruity language to kind of know what it means. Yeah, you're right. We don't know because it's kind of handed down. It's Chinese whispers, most of these things. It's like Burke. You know, you'd, well, hear the, yes. you'd hear the word Burke when I was growing up as a, a, a totally acceptable round the table dad would say, you Burke. Yes. But I know now where that comes from. Okay. But Burke also, we, we, we know where it comes from. Uh, but also, what does it indicate, Burke? It's a very specific kind of... Uh... To call someone a Burke? Yes. Well, I, What I, are you saying I, about I, that? Yeah, you're saying you're, you're an idiot. Yeah, That's an how idiot, I, I grew up thinking you're an idiot. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. nothing, you, you're not... It's not saying they're a wanker, is it? No, no. A wanker is meaning that you masturbate. Which is a <laughs> terrible slur on anyone's character. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, Bert, you silly fool. You know, yeah, you're, you're dumbass. Yeah, yeah. You're an idiot. So I, I think we're going to stand firm against the spread of all this uh, American profanity into our language. I think it's gone mad. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, what I object to with David Cameron, and it's not party political, is that he's clearly decided he, he wanted to say pissed off when he said pissed off. You know, I think people, I realise that people are a bit pissed off. Yes. So he, he's been advised to do it. He's not doing, none of these people are doing anything they're not advised to do. Well, apparently, Christian Connell, too, I heard an interview with him talking about it. He said that when they went to an ad break or whatever, he turned to his PR and said, this is going okay, isn't it? And the PR said, apart from the T word. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. So she um, mm. was not expecting him to That's do that. But that does suggest that she thought that the P word was okay. Yeah. Well, that he's getting down with the kids, isn't he? Oh well. He's off on his summer holidays. It's a bit embarrassing. It's like your granddad dancing at a wedding. Uh, yeah, you know? it is. Yeah. It's, it's, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Your age. I, re- I realised that hip language had gone mad when about 30 years ago, I think, uh, maybe not 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and Margaret Thatcher using the expression hassle. Hassle. And you know, when yeah. I was when I were a lad, the only people who used the word hassle were people with really long hair and bell bottoms. You know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it was to do, something to do with you yeah. know the pigs and, yeah. and the availability of red lab. Yeah, it had no place. You know, <laughs> being, not things that she being would do, used by a lady lady from Grantham. The word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. The other thing that the Massive have been, have been uh, thinking about a great deal because I threw them this little bit of bird seed yesterday, knowing it would get a huge response, was, uh, was your teenage TV crushes. Uh, and this, this got a ready response in the breast of not just male correspondents. That's good to know. Cause... Predominantly male correspondents, mm. to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I started with <clears throat> Sheila Fern, who used to play the elder sister of Terry Collier in Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads. Yeah. It's a very, very lovely woman, very lovely voice. And, uh, and in those days, I used to regard her as my a fantasy, you know, slightly older woman, yes? And she didn't have, she didn't have a main, major part in the, in the, in the Like Lads. You know, she only appeared for a few minutes at a time. But it's amazing how large people like that yeah. can loom, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, is that something to do now, with yeah. television? Um, also, they exist, but if they're in fictional stuff, they're actresses or actors. They exist in this universe. You can imagine that they are. She can. She is Terry's sister, or same actress, uh, Jeffrey Fourmile's wife in George and Mildred, which I can only oh, assume right. you Oh right, she lived next followed. door in George yeah. Mildred. Yeah, she was the slightly kind of middle class name. Oh right, Jeffrey Fourmile. Yeah, so she. Was, <laughs> I, I feel terrible for not remembering her first name, but anyway, she was Mrs. Fourmile. What was she called? Anyway, they had a little uh, horrible son called Tristram. Right, do you remember? Of course, them? Yeah, I I've, do. I've watched these programs recently. They do stand up pretty well to the test of time, actually. Oh, uh, really? An ITV sitcom. Yeah, pretty well written, actually. But anyway, yes, I, I so, know. So who were, your, who were your crushes when you were... Uh... Well, I've, I'm absolutely not alone in uh, having confused feelings about Sally James on Tis Was. I think, that, I think anybody in their 40s must, I would imagine, uh, found themselves watching Tis Was and not being quite sure why they really wanted her to get a custard pie or a bucket of water thrown over. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I was, you know, sexualised at that age, but I definitely found it kind of fascinating, that prospect. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of men, and that's definitely not a unique crush. I liked Denise, the dark-haired one from Tight Fit. 
Ooh. Who did uh, uh, what? He, the lion sleeps. Yeah, tonight? the lion sleeps tonight, and they were. I think probably their only hit, but uh, they were all over Smash Hits, and they were all over the television and Top of the Pops, and they had kind of safari gear on, didn't they? <laughs> yes, uh, the they did. To the point, I can't remember the the blonde one's name, but I would always tend to go for the dark. Right, hair one. Okay. Denise, she was called. What about you, Fraser? Well, my first was actually a proper sex bomb, which was uh, Victoria Principal, who played Pam Ewing in Dallas. Oh, right. So it was Pam that you fancied. It was Pam that yeah. I fancied. Yeah. yeah, but after that, it kind of got a bit, got a bit mumsy. Right, and it, was, it was Janet Ellis had a Blue Peter or I adored. Right. Uh, despite the fact that I was way too old to be watching Blue Peter. We well, see, this is it. That, I think that they, they, TV producers surely discovered, didn't they, that it was a hugely important element of doing any kind of kids' programme, that you had some lovely presenter. Hmm. Because a large part of your audience was students, you know, <laughs> sleeping in on Absolutely, Saturday morning yeah. or whatever, you know, just fantasising about uh, about these people. And, and then it got, for me, it got really odd. It was Linda Bellingham was my next one. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> o- Oxo Interesting, mum. Yeah. Well, oh, that's God. about as mumsy as it gets. It is. It's yeah. an archetypal yeah. mum. Yeah. Well, I got some great ones here. The thing that struck me going through the, um, you know, the listings of what people had uh, suggested, that uh, they were all, <coughs> or a lot of them, were fantastic examples of, of what's known in the theatre as the engineer. Mm. And I've got a, I've got a, a dictionary definition of an engineer here, okay? It's the beautiful, gentle, sweet, virginal, and often naive in mental or emotional danger, or even physical danger, usually a target of the cad, <laughs> whom she may have mistaken for the hero, okay? Jeremy Clarkson. Yes. So, uh, and I, I, picked out, I picked out a bunch here that I, I think really fit this, this description, see if you agree. Uh, and I'm terrible at pronouncing this, but it's Anharad Reese in yeah. Poldark. Yeah, it must be a silent G. Uh, uh, nominated by Mike Todd. Yeah. Sally Jason oh, yes. in, in uh, Bless This House, yes, nominated indeed, by Chris Young. Fantastic. Uh, Joe Grant in Doctor Who, nominated by David Rice. Early one for me, although she was uh, pretty smart. Right. Although she was the damsel in distress to a degree, I think all of his assistants were pretty smart as well, so they had that going for them. Stacey Dawning from Black Beauty, which Sheevmaster nominates and says, funny feelings in my tummy, even now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's quite a few that uh, the road horses quite a bit, actually. No, I think the horse thing gets people going. Yeah, yeah OK. Because the word astride is usually... Uh, usually <laughs> Same with cellists. Cellists, yeah, you're that absolutely right. Oh, any cellists listening. Many people, including <laughs> Gangle Sprocket, mentioned uh, Claire Grogan, oh, of yes. course. Well, that's odd, isn't it? Because you have definitely known Claire Grogan in her adult life, and I've met her on a number of occasions. And it is very odd if you meet somebody. I mean, it's, you know, it can happen, kids. You meet somebody who you used to fancy when you were younger, and you're more innocent. I mean, I, I was pretty innocent in my fancying. I think we're all we're talking innocent fancying here, aren't we? Rather than kind of awful, kind of lechery. Oh, this yeah. is why it's good. It's okay to talk <clears throat> about this stuff. I never stalked the Oxford. It's not too sweaty, is it? I, I used to it's like... So I liked Claire Grogan in 1980 and 1981, and I would have liked her to have been my girlfriend. It's, it's yeah. the truth of the matter. I wasn't thinking filthy thoughts about it. It didn't go beyond that, did it? No, even Denise well, and Type B. I mean, I... have had the opportunity. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's it. It just wasn't in your sphere of reference. But even so, to have, to have really liked somebody and then to meet them in real life, obviously she's still a highly attractive woman in, uh, in adult life. But it's odd, isn't it? We see, if it I, happens, it is odd. I thought, well, yeah, possibly, yes. Yeah, I'm, Even I'm if it was, a chaste, here, it was a chaste love, which it was. Yeah. Well, except that, 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 that all questions of desire, there's all kinds of stuff mixed up in there. There's yeah, no think, so, yeah. point thinking yeah. you could ever separate these things. Yeah. The sentimentality and, you know, all kinds of things going clothes. around. <laughs> I liked her clothes. Claire oh. Grogan's clothes appealed to me. But Gangle Sprocket, who, who nominated Claire, said, I once met her, and she was loveliness personified, and I failed to utter a single amusing or interesting thing in her presence. She can probably still make middle-aged men tongue-tied. Yeah, yeah I think so. Which I think if she's had a hard day, I think it's probably quite good for the, for the ego. Yeah, why the hell not? Well, absolutely. Many people mentioned Joanne Wally and the singing detective. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, the, the blanket bath <clears> and the singing detective... You know, which most people saw just once. How how long ago is that, Andrew? Oh, that's uh, so, eighty. Oh God, it's uh, twenty five years yeah, ago, probably. It's isn't it? mid eighties, isn't it? Eighty four. So people have like seen that, that once, yeah. yeah, and they remember it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I definitely only saw it once. Uh, Sally Jane Spencer. This is a good one. Who played uh, Reggie Perrin's daughter in the Rise and Fall? Yes, a, a buxom uh, woman. Yes, which is probably was married. Was. Yeah, married to uh, Tom. Yes, uh, nominated by James Blast. 
And uh, Lisette Anthony, who was in numerous productions over the years, but probably most famously on Three Up, Two Down. Yeah. But, um, also it fits there. And, uh, and Sally Tomsett, who uh, says, uh, says Lenny Law, if ever there was a woman who looked like she was designed by a committee of perverts. <laughs> oh, that's a horrible thing to say. Um, very unfair. She was in The Railway Children, of course, which was OK, because they were all older than their characters. Um, but one of my sorry to bring that up, but it is true. It's okay to fancy Jenny Agatha in the <laughs> children because she's old enough to be fancied. I've lost the actual. Oh uh, yes, uh, uh, Art Vandelay slightly goes off the scripts because he says he used to fancy Casilla Black like crazy. He what says, era does, does? Well, I don't know. He was only five at the time. I mean, I'm guessing sort of early seventies or something like that. Yeah, when she had her own show. But this gives you an idea of sentimentality and so forth. He says, as a five-year-old. I used to leave notes beside my bed to remind me to dream about her. Ah, that's great. Isn't that the sweetest thing that's you've great. ever heard? Did he say whether it worked or not? <laughs> it never works. I'm going to try this. And then the women. Uh, Robert Lindsay in Citizen Smith was nominated by Janice and KBHR. Good one. And she also used to like Adam Faith in Budgie, Hewell Bennett as Shelley, and Jeff Conway and Tony Danza in Taxi. Can I uh, say all bad boys? Yes. The ladies love a bad boy. They la- they're partic- <laughs> particularly a bad boy in a blue som top, I think, with, you know, with, yeah. with, with a good perm, yeah. I'd imagine. Um, and then Kath Rish confesses that she used to like Mr. Roy from Basil Brush. Ah, yeah. Is that terribly wrong, she says. I was only about six at the time. Roy North. Probably wearing a tank top. Yep. Uh, and then my full awakening arrived seeing John Travolta play Danny Zuko in Greece. Just loved him. Oh, I think Greece did it for, for all sexes and all denominations. Yeah, because you've had Olivia Newton John and John Travolta. So whether you liked boys and you were a boy or a girl, you had one. Yes. One to love. And it was also it was innocent and kind of quite saucy, wasn't it? Yeah. And they were dressed up as school kids, so you could kind yes. of identify with them, yeah. even though they were about 30. Yeah. <laughs> and that. Uh, I would love to have gone to their school. They had a fair at the end of term. <laughs> And that video appeared on uh, on Thursday night, Top of the Pops, every night for Many a, weeks, about yeah. a year. Yeah. It's astonishing. Big hit. So, there you go. Uh, you know, I like it. I like this subject because, it, it, as I say, I think it, it goes pre-lust, and I think that's... Otherwise, we'd just be sitting here. It's quite hot in here, anyway. I quite like the fact that <laughs> otherwise we're Otherwise, it would be sordid. Fancying. <laughs> fancying. You know, it's nice, fancying. That's a good... The, other, the other big thread... In the last week or so, it was started by, oh, yes, it's, uh, I've got it here, um, Austin, who pointed out about the things that, we've, um, that we, we accept in the Beano, but we've yet to see in real life. Yeah. And I'll, you know, these are things that he's never witnessed in real life. It's a great thread. It's a fantastic yeah. thread. He's never seen a carty. He's never seen a pea shooter. Well, I've seen pea shooter. Well, I think it's a it's a it's a, a vintage thing, isn't it? Okay, right it's, it's, you know, most of these comics, Beano or otherwise, they were sort of forged in the kind of the war era, really, weren't they? The sort of post. Well, probably era. earlier. Actually. Yeah, that idea was pretty fixed earlier. By the time I was reading them in the seventies, most of that stuff had kind of gone out, I would imagine. But it seemed like reality to us, didn't it? He'd never seen a teacher wearing a mortarboard. No, nope. I don't think I've seen one in anger. Uh, he's never seen a small boy sitting in a doctor's waiting room with a saucepan jammed on his head. <laughs> Brilliant. Or in a dentist's waiting room with a, with a kind of bandage round your head. <laughs> yeah, with a knot on yeah, the top. Yeah, a knot on the top. Was that, on was that the to top? keep your mouth shut? I don't know what that was. He's never seen sticking plasters, plasters arranged in a cross <laughs> shape <laughs> on a wound. <laughs> That's very good. He's never heard men being addressed as Mr. by children. Oh, Mr. Uh, he's, no, he's never heard the noise represented by the, the letters T, S and K. He's never seen a pie with horns sticking out of the pastry. Well, fair enough. Yeah. And he's never seen the telephone that rings so vigorously that the receiver is airborne. <laughs> so that's a fantastic way to, uh, to, start, to start those. Did, did, did you have a look at this? Did anybody, yeah. any of these strike well, you? I, I love this stuff, I mean, because I was just absolutely hooked on <laughs> because these Because you're an illustrator as well, by the way. Well, yeah, it, it taught me that I wanted to draw cartoons for a living, which I did for a while, but uh, would never, could never have touched the drawings of Leo Baxendale and Robert Nixon and various others. So I love Frank McDermott. They, uh, they're all brilliant, these. But this one I like from Paul Waring, uh, which is actually it's a follow on from one by Chris G, 
who mentions never having been bitten on the toe by a crab. And then Paul Waring <laughs> continues, and did you then hop about on one foot, crab grimly hanging onto your smallest toe by its pincer, whilst tears escaped in a fountain from your tightly closed eyes, you all the while shouting, Yaru in capital letters. That's genius, genius. And then you've had Chris G follows on the same ah. point, I think, here. He says, uh, and all the while, my ah, dad yes. slept in his deck chair in his shirt and braces, <laughs> hanky on head, while mum unpacked a picnic, which all seemed to be already on plates. <laughs> 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 Including ice buns topped with the perkiest cherries and jugs of lemonade. That's, That's just brilliant. But there must have been a time when Factory Fortnight, when everyone went on holiday to the same place, in Minehead or Blackpool, that people really did do that. And the dad really must have sat there on a deck chair with his vest on and a hanky on his head. That, I've never, I've never, uh, I mean, before, before I was born, but I'm sure that must have been true at one point. Well, I found uh, the other day some old photos of my grandfather from when I was a child uh, that he would go, being a stout Yorkshireman, you know, when he went to the seaside, he never believed in good weather. He thought good weather was simply something that happened overseas. Couldn't happen <laughs> in, in Britain at all. And he was probably right a yeah. lot of the time. No barbecue summer in those days. And then, absolutely. <laughs> or at least he wouldn't have been taken in by it. <laughs> and there he is sitting on the beach, on a deck chair, at Filey, and he is wearing, okay, he's wearing a three-piece suit, he's wearing a stiff collar and a tie, he's got an overcoat on, and he's wearing a flat cap. Wow. Brilliant. That is, you know, he's not yeah. going to be caught napping at all no. by, by any, any changes in the weather. Um, and uh, Joe Muggs says uh, how much he would like to see a red-faced butcher shaking <laughs> his fist at a small dog running away with a string of sausages. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? The Bash Street Pups were one of my favourite Beano stories. A spin-off from the Bash Street Kids because all their dogs look like them. And uh, they would be obsessed by the Boneyard which I think is slang for a graveyard, isn't it? That's what a boneyard yeah, was, I think so, probably yeah, 1950s yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah. uh, but the boneyard in the Bash Street Pups world was just a fence erected around a load of bones. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they were trying to escape to get the bones and run out with them. It was brilliant. And uh, somebody says, uh, I've seen a fight that was contained in a cloud with <laughs> arms and legs coming out. <laughs> That's the, the, I can't read the, the name there. And uh, Dolly actually uh, you know, adds, I have been in such a fight. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not sure I believe. I'm all for not burning my tongue, but I never left a pie to cool down on a windowsill. <laughs> Have you done that, Fraser? I haven't, no. But I do stick my sausages vertically into mash. <laughs> ah, of course, yeah. Oh, it's a desperate damn pie. Homage. Um, yes, I do now make a mountain of mash on my plate and stick the sausages out in homage to the three bears. That's yeah. a thing you can do when you're a grown-up. <laughs> exactly. When yeah. you're a kid, Easy you can't have that much mashed potato, can you? It's brilliant, this stuff. And what, what killed me about it is actually, it's funnier to see it written down True. than to see it drawn. Yeah. Which made me think, is there, is there increasing, is there a form of humour emerging that you actually just carry in your head? That... You don't need reference to the original stimulus material beyond a certain point. There's, there were, I, can't, I can't remember, the, the joke emerged about Mr. Pastry, who's mm. a not very funny children's entertainer of the 50s that and 60s. One of the questions my mum got right on Telly Alex in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so, I, uh, the other day when, when Tom Watson was failing to win the, the British Open, yeah, yeah, by playing like a buffoon in the, in the <laughs> playoff... <laughs> I, I, I sent this tweet saying, Tom Watson's playing like Mr. Pastry. <laughs> and people, you know, various people responded and said, that's really funny. And then somebody posted a, a clip of Mr. Pastry on the site and said, said, that's not funny. Well, I know it's not, he's not funny, but the idea of him... <laughs> yes, that's true, actually, yeah. ...is funny. Yeah. You know, the, the reality is never as good as the idea, if it's a kind of shared nostalgic memory, is it? Well, again, if you go back and look, go back and look at Morecambe and Wise from the 1970s, is it as funny? I, I've watched as it. What I, you've got it's in your really head. hard to know because, yeah, I, I, my memories of it are being the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Because a man got slapped around the side of the head by another man who was taller than him with glasses on. I mean, that isn't very funny, is it? If you describe that as all it was, but it was funny because the way they did it was funny. Maybe it isn't if you watch it again. Never watched Starsky and Hutch, by the way. Oh right, no. Oh, I, God, I, I loved Starsky and Hutch, but I, I made a mistake, and it was a video actually pre-DVD, and I bought, you know, some episodes of Starsky and Hutch. Slow and dull and not that exciting. You see, I think the only thing, oh. there is only one comedy that is still as funny. What is it? What, Porridge? Or before that, oh, Steptoe and Son? Right, Steptoe and Son. No! You don't not think that's funny? funny? 
Well, actually, I don't actually not treat that as funny. I treat that as a kind of it's, it's a drama, poignant. isn't it? Yeah, it's yes. be- beautifully acted. I would have thought, thought the only sitcom that is as funny as the day it was minted is Faulty Towers. Oh, that is still very funny. And Courage and, probably is yeah, as well. I, I think probably Dad's Army might be a little bit tame for people now, but at least because it was set in the past, it doesn't look dated. Can we do American? MASH still works for me. Okay, I haven't seen it for years. But that's a, a, yeah, because that's set, I think, you know, in a place that, well, it could have been World War II, it Absolutely. could have been the Korean War, or it could have been Vietnam. I think that's probably helps, because yeah. the setting is sort of timeless, isn't it? But don't you think something like Dad's Army, it's no longer to do with sitting and watching it and deciding this is a good episode or this is not such a good episode. It's all to do with the fact that we've all got our heads full of the idea of Captain Mannering and Sergeant Wilson and yeah. Don't Panic and... You know, they, they've just they've just formed our idea of what's funny. They're shared things as well in a way that stuff today isn't shared by such large groups of people. So it might be different in the future. But it's strange because I grew up without television. I didn't have a television until I was nineteen. I was always I, impressed by that. And <laughs> I, I, I am. My mother thought it'd be bad for me, and the minute the day I moved out, she bought one for herself. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. But I I kind of feel like I share this this kind of common. Uh, comradeship with people who have watched them and I understand what they find funny and I can understand in my head why Mannering is funny even though I've only seen clips on top 100 TV shows kind of thing. Mm. I've never actually watched See, it's a funny idea yeah, yeah. isn't it it is a brilliant idea and, and if you can pick that up from clips then that proves how good it is yeah. you don't need to watch a whole episode to understand it but then these days you watch clips unless you watch them randomly on YouTube if you watch them on programmes that have clips on them they're always so contextualised as to almost have no arse left yes. you know, they're contextualised to death by people like uh, me sitting around saying oh this is why that's funny and why that you know and so unfortunately you can't help but see them in context because everything's framed isn't it now by three or four people remembering it so oh. I worry that, that in the future you know the kids today won't have such a good pool of shared memory because they're not all watching the same stuff at the same time. Nobody's watching anything at the same time, nor are we as grown-ups. So I just wonder, because only, you know, sporting events, maybe. There's not much in the way of, I suppose, X Factor, possibly. I mean, you know, the well, really big yeah. stuff, you know, Susan Boyle might well be genuinely I mean, shared things like, things like Big Brother, yeah. whether you like them or not, are, you know, they, mm. they work on the basis of shared experience, yeah. don't they? Yeah, that's true. Cause they're 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 they are created about. as a way, as something for people to talk about the yeah. following day. Huh? Yeah, so I suppose there, there are less instances of it, but I suppose it will still... It's still some kind of glue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All that yeah. stuff, yeah. No, it just intrigues me that this stuff just stays in your yeah, head. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the joke often referred to is, you know, the most people over a certain age can't say Arsenal without somebody saying Arsenal. Yeah. Because of the joke that Morecambe Wise cracked in 1976. Yeah. yeah. Or every time an ice cream fan goes past, you think to yourself, he's never going to... Every time an ambulance yeah. goes past, you think to yourself, he's never going to sell on the ice cream. <laughs> he's yeah. going to that speech, yeah. That was very badly told, but was, I knew what bad. you were talking about. And so did everybody <laughs> listening. They all knew what you were talking about. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, Andrew, you've got something to plug. Oh, you? well, I've, yeah, oddly enough, I've, uh, uh, my other podcast... Yes. Uh, my other <laughs> podcast is a slightly more scholarly one with Richard Herring, although an interesting week for us, because Richard Herring, uh, who's... Uh, there's, been, there's been a lynch mob in the Guardian. Yeah, his, his Edinburgh <laughs> show is called Hitler Moustache. It is uh, an hour-long um, discussion about racism and how the Hitler moustache is basically a moustache and how can that possibly represent racism and fascism. It was just one man who had it. And so it's about reclaiming the Hitler moustache. He's had a photograph taken with the moustache and he's actually got one today because he's growing it for the, for the Edinburgh run. And so on, on Monday in The Guardian, um, he was quoted out of context, or his show was quoted out of context and was just used in this sort of uh, array of evidence to point up for one writer that there was a new offensiveness abroad in comedy. And they say Richard Herring's new show, Hitler Moustache, uh, is about, uh, runs on the premise that racists have a point, it says. Well, Richard might say those words, racists have a point, but it's part of a very complex, long routine. So he was quite aggrieved about this. And in fact, I think uh, his... Uh, answer pieces running in the Guardian tomorrow because he's very cross that you know people might just assume he's selling a racist show. But anyway, he and I, he's doing that in Edinburgh for three weeks, Hitler moustache, which we're hoping won't be picketed by uh, <laughs> Guardian readers sure who are upset that it's actually racist. Um, but he and I are doing five podcasts in a row, one a day, where they're going to appear on iTunes as they normally would each day, and we're doing them live in front of the audience at the Underbelly at Edinburgh. So if you're in Edinburgh, you'd like That's to come and see... That's next week. We're actually running from the 19th to the 23rd. So if you'd like to come and see us, uh, buy some tickets, and it'll be me and him talking about the newspapers with no idea what we're going to say until we get there. That's the nature of the podcast. It's what we do. Now you're currently We t- might say twat. 
<laughs> I just get that in early. Now, you're currently doing holiday relief for absolutely <laughs> yes, everybody. I don't like the word relief. Uh, <laughs> does that mean you don't get to go away? I'm not, uh, not uh, holidaying this year. It was very disappointing when my uh, new hairdresser asked me that question the other week. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the conversation dead, cut dead. Where are you going on holiday this year? Not really this year. Oh, Silence, right. just cut my hair. So where does that leave my discussion about holiday book choices? Well, that, I uh, will be treating Edinburgh as a holiday, and right. uh, it's an interesting thing, the, the holiday. What I generally do is take the larger books that have been by my bedside for the last 12 months that I haven't yet finished or got through, so it will be the uh, perfectly apt Hitler biography by Ian Kershaw. The two, two volumes. The two volumes, yeah, Hubris and Nemesis, and uh, still working my way through Hubris. I love Hubris and Nemesis. Yeah, of the two. My favourite pref- duo. Yeah, I like Hubris <laughs> better than Nemesis, I think. The period, I love the period of Hitler's kind of growing up and failing to get into art school and stuff like that. It's fascinating because I think, hey, it could have been me. <laughs> yeah. What if I hadn't got into art school? Um, he was very upset about not getting in and didn't tell his mum. He went to Vienna and pretended he was at art school. Very interesting. And in the, in the end, ended up going into beer kellers and shouting on a table <laughs> so who knows what would have happened if he got into Vienna Art School so yes I do generally take that away with me and I shall do the same again this year and I'm bloody going to finish it at right. some point so I like that I've got a big book by Martin Gilbert about Israel which uh, I started to read because I feel not well enough informed about that particular uh, area of the world so I shall take that as well two great big fat books so do you find the holiday is the only time you can attack the sustained <laughs> read I like it because you know I, I try to, to do it you know bedside is no good because if I'm tired I don't read anything and if it's too big to carry in a bag, which those two books are, then they're not going out with me on the on the on the train, which is again my best reading place, really. So yeah, I, I like the fact that I'll be in one place for one time and hopefully not doing any work. That's my dream, anyway. So what are you taking with you, Fraser? Do you normally take loads of books on on, on holiday? You don't have conventional holidays. Do you? I don't, and I don't have a conventional holiday this year, which uh, presents me with Tell a problem. Tell us about this one. Um, I'm going back to North Korea for the third time, <laughs> and hey. I'm currently uh, a couple of hundred pages into a 900-page tome entitled Under the Care of the Fatherly Leader, Life Under the Kim Dynasty in North Korea. Excellent. And the problem is with this... Is it's, this a critical it's a, it's look a, in it's any a way? It's a biographical right. account of the, of the two Kims. Right. And the problem with it is, of course, that you can't... Not Nell and Kim, Kim and This is the kind of book you can't take into North Korea. I was going to say. Because ah, most of the books I read will be history and, and that kind of stuff, and none of them you'll be able to take into the country. So I'm going to have to find some fluff. To read. So they're okay with fluff, are they? Yes. If you turn up with Barbara Cartle and that'll be fine. Not a problem at all. They love Barbara Cartle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame that you can't take that into the country. Yeah, It'd be brilliant. You've got to read it before you go. You've got to use a top up, haven't you? With exactly, as much knowledge yeah. before you go. Can I do a quick straw poll around the table? Have we all read, or did we all read, The Da Vinci Code when it came out? Yes. Yeah. Oh can't remember if you did. I did. Oh, you did, yeah. Well, I, can, I can do you ten minutes on the Da Vinci Code. Well, I, I, I'm researching a piece about Dan Brown for, for a newspaper, and in advance of the fact that his next book is finally coming out in September. And uh, I read the Da Vinci Code on holiday, actually, and raced through it in a couple of days, and found it incredibly addictive and exciting, and sort of put it down, and realised that everyone else was reading it, so I wasn't, you know, I sort of thought, well, I must have a look at this thing. Couldn't believe how, how quickly I raced through it, and really wanted to get to the end, and was fascinated by it. And uh, sort of then after that, this kind of wave of anti-Dan Brown feeling started to come out. Maybe not in real people, but just you started to sense it, and I thought, blimey, you know, was it worse than I thought? Did I? I definitely enjoyed it. See, I thought and I, th- I, I think I, there might be a bit of revisionism. I don't know if that's true. I remember opening up the book and reading the first think- sentence and thinking, "By God, that's badly written." It's just, it was just clumsy and rotten. First but boy, he, can he spin a plot? That's and what that's what he's good at. That's what I thought. I, c- I could definitely take a couple of sentences out and go, "That's not very good." Or, or there are a couple of clumsy errors in there. I think somebody uses a one hundred pound note when he gets to London. <laughs> and, no, there are there are really unforgivable gaffes in there, which I've kind of read about and, and discovered since but I don't think I don't even remember noticing that somebody used a hundred pound note I've read about this since I just I think I was just enjoying the story my response to it was the same as my response to the film uh, about Pearl Harbor that came out probably ten years ago yes mm. big Hollywood blockbuster yes that in both cases I felt that they'd fashioned a piece of popular entertainment for the lowest common denominator and filled it full of all the fashionable, fashionable concerns of the day. And I don't mind that, because, you know, my, my view is, generally speaking, a hugely successful piece of popular entertainment I will kind of like, because it's not popular for nothing. No, I agree. You know, whether, you, whether you're the obvious person to like it or not, you'll go for it. 
In both cases of the Pearl, uh, Pearl Harbor and the Da Vinci Code, I stopped watching and reading about ten pages or ten minutes before the end because I thought, I resent the amount of my life <laughs> that both these things have taken up. And, and, you know, it's my final insult to their makers that I didn't care how either of them supposedly turned out. Now, at Pearl Harbor, we know how it turned out, even though they had to tack on a bit at the end to make the American audience feel that, that it yes, they on, certainly did. On, yeah. on a high yeah. note, you yeah. know. But that Da Vinci Code, I just thought, I do not care. Not even on a kind of Enid Blyton level, do I care. That's a great insult. I thought it was wretched. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I admire you for, for making that statement. <laughs> I was just going so fast at that point, I couldn't stop myself. Well, that's I just, why I bought it, because yeah. I thought, I will enjoy this. Yeah. You know, big you know, blockbuster, I'll like it. Lowest common denominator is interesting, because I would think if you were going to really go for the lowest common denominator, you wouldn't bog it down with all that stuff about art history and, and, and the Catholic Church, because that strikes me as a li- little bit no, grittier than the real lowest common denominator. But those are the kind of things that make... Well, you're aiming at the people who might buy a book once a year, you know, and those yeah. are the kind of things that, that people like to feel are part of it, you know, part of the background. Mm. Well, it, it works. To treat you know millions yeah. and millions and millions of people bought it and and will do for the next one as well. Did you did you like it? I did. Yeah, yeah you did like I it. Just, I just I've never yeah. been so eager to yeah. turn a page and find well, out what but happened you, next. You look back on it and think, oh god, I can't believe I liked that. No, I book. don't. No, you know, I didn't. I, I thought it was badly written, but I, yeah. did, I thought it was almost irrelevant that it was because mm. it was so good at telling a story. Yeah. Well, I'm going away Bastards. on holiday with probably ten books, and, and there isn't one pot boiler amongst them, actually. I can't, I, I can't find a pot boiler I want to read. I can't find a bestseller I want to read. So it's all My history, is it? it? It's kind of history and weighty yeah. stuff and yeah. classics and, and all that kind of carry-on. And Because uh, I read the Mitford uh, letters, Andrew, which oh, I know uh, recently, which... Uh, had I not read it, I wouldn't be taking that on holiday. Yeah, that's, that's the one brilliant. I would recommend, and Andrew would probably recommend Absolutely, also. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's easily the best one to start with if you're interested in the Mitfords. And that period, I mean, the thing this, it, it stretches out over decades, but the bit that's really interesting is the early part of the last century, isn't it? Well, also, I, the thing I find fascinating is, is the later parts where they, there's two sisters hanging on, mm, and they're noticing all their generation dying. Yeah, true. And then they're finding it, they're waking up every morning to be made cross by obituaries. Yes, that's of, true, actually. Uh, of people that, you know, were in their family or they knew or whatever, that they felt that, you know, that posterity has got wrong. Yeah. I really feel great, great sympathy for them. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they clearly knew everybody in the 20th century. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, they did. Yeah. There was nobody that they yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, nobody they didn't have around for tea. Yeah. And so, you know... If ever anybody could read the Telegraph obituary and go, oh, I think you got that wrong. <laughs> they them. were the people. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I think that'll be all for, uh, for this week for the podcast. Okay. And probably all for this summer. You having a, a recess? Well, I'm going away next week. I don't know. Fraser may manage to keep it going before he sets off to Korea. <laughs> uh, but if, if we're not in touch with you before, um, before the end of the summer, have a good one. Yeah. Keep up those threads. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.